And if you've uh, had a chance to check out this month's prayer watch, you'll you'll find it in there. And please, I'd encourage you to grab a copy of this if you don't already have one. So yeah, this is a word that uh, Greg received earlier this year, and uh, uh, for him personally, but something that was also confirmed quite powerfully, certainly in my hearing, uh, not that long ago by uh, David Peters, who's recognized internationally uh, as a prophet. So I'll just share a little bit of this with you because it turns out it's not just for Greg, but it's for all of us. I believe that you have an important part to play in the reconstruction time ahead. You are gifted like the teacher mentioned in Joel. You lead us and train us in how to live as citizens of heaven with instructed words from God that will refresh and nourish us. But the us is to become more than the rock community. And I believe God is saying it is time to begin constructing the new church with him. This is not a reconstruction, but a new construction for the last days we are entering. New Zealand is to be a church that is a seed pod church, that the wind of the Holy Spirit will blow out over the face of the earth. God will redeem our New Zealand pioneer spirit from self-sufficiency and send his Kiwi children out to spread the word and birth new ministries that will save the widows and the orphans and will be placed in governance in foreign lands just as Joseph was in Egypt. I see God's first um, I see God's fist poised above Wellington and I believe God wants to awaken the sleepy headed church of New Zealand. He wants to start with the rock and he wants you to sound the trumpet and gather the people of the rock as in Joel. Uh, blow the ram's horn trumpet in Zion, declare a day of repentance, a holy fast day, call a public meeting, get everyone there, consecrate the congregation, make sure the elders come. But bring in the children too, even the nursing babies, even men and women on their honeymoon. Interrupt them and get them there. Between sanctuary entrance and altar, let the priests, God's servants, weep tears of repentance. Let them intercede. Have mercy, God, on your people. Don't abandon your heritage to contempt. Don't let the pagans take over and rule them and sneer. And so, where is the God? And say, where is the God of theirs? At that, God went into action to get his land back. He took pity on the people. It's in Joel. Then God will smash through the indifference and false comfort here in New Zealand and fire his people up and reconstruct the church using your words and your training to lead the people. He will give his New Zealand church grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. Greg, I believe that you are to literally and physically sound the trumpet to awaken the New Zealand church. God is poised, ready to act, awaiting a man who will step up and sound the standard and call of God upon the land. God has heard the cry of the widows and the orphans across the face of the earth and is ready to deliver them through New Zealand, going out as seed pods, pioneering faith and righteous government and deliverance. Oh, far out. That is a word. Now, not having heard a word of that, I was there when David Peters was ministering personally over leaders and staff and spoke a good part of that as well. Particularly, he, he, saw, he saw in the spirit Greg blowing a trumpet over us. Bang. That's how the prophetic works. And that is God saying very specifically, putting his finger on Greg and on us and saying, this is what I want to birth. Now, when you are a prophetic church, you hear God's voice. And you act, you obey. And that's what Greg wants to lead us into. 
and I'm very excited about that. And so we're going to do that, literally. On the 28th of October, Sunday the 28th of October, we'll be combining our two services. The morning service, the evening service, and all the people that meet at those times will be gathering at the same time at 3 p.m. here Sunday afternoon. We'll have a combined service. We will praise and worship God and recognize that this is all about him and his plan and his purpose. And this is only achieved through a powerful move of his spirit. But we will then step out in faith and choose to partner with him in this move. And to see this prophetic word fulfilled, Greg will blow a trumpet over us, over us and over the city, calling this into being. Oh, it's going to be full on. So come. All right? This is about unity, us coming together in unity and choosing to step into what God has for us. And that's what I want. I don't want to be part of a holy club. I want to be a part of a family, a movement of God that's going to transform the city and apparently the world. And this is for the whole church. That's the kids too, because they're part of the church as well. This is everyone together. So bring your family. Bring everyone. Is that cool? Man. I think it's, a, it's almost enough word for the day as it is. Man, just go home and read some more, Joel. Whew. And this actually is pretty much what I wanted to preach about today. Uh, a few weeks ago, I, I started exploring with you uh, this idea of the foundation that God wants to build his church on. A foundation of apostles and prophets with Christ as the cornerstone. And I want to elaborate a little bit more on that today. But when we start living like that kind of church, this is what happens. We hear God's prophetic voice and we move in his power and amazing things happen. That is the church that I want to help build. All right. Okay, Lord, I just want to pray again. This, this is full on stuff and that is full on stuff. But I just want to thank you, Lord, that you're speaking to your church. I want to thank you, Lord, for the, the gifted people who are listening to you, who are seeking your voice who were looking for you to show them powerful things, Lord. And I, I pray that for all of us here, Lord, that we'd all be seeking your voice and looking to see what you were doing. And then we'd have the humility and the boldness to step out into that, Lord. And I pray for us all for spiritual sight this morning to see uh, what is of your kingdom and to hear what is your word and to be able to discern what is not. I pray, Lord, that what we carry away from us with us today would be your word, your truth. And in us, Lord, that truth would do a powerful work. In Jesus' name, amen. Please turn to the Gospel of Matthew. We will start in chapter 16. From verse 13. Who do people say the Son of Man is? Jesus asked one day. They replied, some say John the Baptist, 
Others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The church God would build would be built on a revelation and a gifting. The revelation is that Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one, the son of God. The gifting was the anointing of an apostle. What Peter was able to see that others couldn't was who Jesus really was. Others saw a rural tradesman. Uh, Others saw Joseph's boy. Others saw a wise teacher or a miracle worker or a troublemaker. But Peter had spiritual sight to see deeper than that. He could see the eternal reality. Peter was chosen personally by Jesus and designated an apostle, uh, Luke 6.13. He was chosen for a very special role in the kingdom of God. The name Peter, which is direct uh, translation, transliteration of Petros in the Greek, means rock. That's what it is. Petros is the name form of rock. And it's the same word that comes up in that sentence. Jesus says, you are Petros, and on this Petra, I will build my church. Peter, you are rock, and on this rock, I will build my church. The rock upon which Jesus would build his church was both a revelation of his true identity and mission as the Messiah. But it was also the foundation of prophets and apostles, of which Jesus was the cornerstone. Jesus described the apostolic gifting with very specific and significant language. He said to Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That is powerful language. That is a very heavy anointing. The the apostolic ministry is one of messenger, of emissary between heaven and earth. The ministry of the apostles is to receive revelation and lead the church strategically into it in word and power and example. And God has been faithful to give these anointed people the spiritual resources that they need to fulfill this mission. We read in Luke 24, 45, that Jesus opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. And in 1 Corinthians 4, 1, Paul explains, 
This then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. This means that Jesus gave his apostles a supernatural ability to see the concealed truth in the scriptures that the scholars and scribes who could recite the scriptures from memory had missed. So they knew the word, but they did not know the word. He revealed the mysteries of the kingdom to them so that they would then reveal these things to the world. And the fruit of this was when they preached, they preached with accuracy and with authority, for they knew the word. And not just the word, the book, the pages, but they knew the author of the word. And that came through. They spoke as if they carried that same spirit, because they did. Their preaching was accompanied by power, and lives were radically transformed physically and spiritually. In Acts chapter 1, verse 2, we read that Jesus instructed his chosen apostles through the Holy Spirit, and they received their instruction directly from God, spirit to spirit. Not just receiving man's teaching, but receiving it directly from God. And what was their instruction they received? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. The mission of the apostles was not just local. It was global. Paul describes his calling as an apostle in Romans chapter 1, verse 1 to 5. And there he presents himself as Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to faith and obedience for his name's sake. The apostolic calling and grace gave Paul and the apostles the authority to take the kingdom of God out from the incubator of the house of Israel out to the world of the Gentiles, those that did not know God. And we could easily miss the significance of that. That is a whole other paradigm. That is a major revolution. Grace was only for the chosen people of Israel. Them and them alone, they carried the promise. Them and them alone, or so they thought. The idea that God loved non-Jewish people just as much and that he had a promise and a destiny for them as well, It took very, very bold men and women of God to carry that message out there. It truly was the greatest spiritual revolution that had ever been.
apostles and prophets are revolutionaries. They bring revolution. They bring discord. Because they bring the word of God in a way that cuts down strongholds which are not of heaven. They bring down false mindsets and they restore truth. That's not always pretty. In fact, it very rarely is. So it takes bold, mostly crazy people who don't care so much about the opinion of man. They care about the opinion of God and being obedient to that. Another point to mention is the apostolic calling and grace was not one that Paul and the other apostles claimed for themselves. They were chosen by God himself and they were appointed accordingly. The apostolic calling does not come by desire or by hard work or by political maneuvering. It comes upon those that God has predestined to serve in this fashion. And certainly my reading of scripture suggests that apostles are the most likely uh, to be persecuted, to be beaten, to be thrown in prison, uh, and suffer for the ministry they carry. So if you could manipulate your way into the role, probably safer not to. There are easier gigs in the kingdom, that's for sure. I love this uh, anecdote from Acts chapter 16 of the apostolic gift in action. Acts 16 from verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Messiah, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they crossed by Messiah and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Who has visions? Who has a dream at night and gets up in the morning and completely changes what he's doing with his life? I have weird dreams. Dreams I don't know I want to be living out. Some people have prophetic dreams that change the destiny of nations. Some people have the boldness to step out in faith when they receive a word. Some people have the spiritual discernment to see that God is speaking to them and directing them that way. Some people see visions. Some people dream dreams. Some people act on those. And some of those people are apostles and prophets. They just see things and hear things that the rest of us don't. Now, that's not to say, of course, that the rest of us normals can't see dreams and don't dream dreams and see visions. Because we can, and we do, and God wants us to. But it's like these other guys. It's like it's hardwired into their spirit. The dream world, the vision world, the prophetic world is their world. 
It's not like they have to step into it and switch it on or something. They can call on God to please do it. It just seems to happen because that's the realm they live in. I don't live in that realm so much. I live so much more in this world and I'm poorer for it. These guys have a foot in both camps the whole time. Mostly it messes them up, but we need them. The vi- and the visions that they see and the prophetic words they get aren't just for individuals. These guys receive prophetic word and visions and dreams for churches and for cities and for nations. Now, I come from a religious tradition that believes and taught me that the apostolic office was one that was established for a specific, short, but significant period of time in history. That would be the first century AD. And the apostolic office was one that was crucial and necessary to lay a foundation that the church would then be built on. Uh, And that would require the apostles to bring together God's word to establish the canon the the Bible, and once we had that, would be set. We needed the apostles to write the Bible, and that would contain everything that we would ever need to know for the rest of church history. And uh, being immersed in that environment, that made sense to me. And having a, a spirit which leans toward uh, the teaching gift, that appealed to me, because that meant that everything was knowable and knowable by me because I had the Bible. So the better I got at teaching it, well, more of a legend I'll be in the kingdom of God because I'm the guy with the answers. Idiot. Unfortunately, (laughs) and church history has proved this time and time again, having the inspired authoritative word of God in the Bible hasn't stopped the church making a balls up of it every year since we got the Bible. Because having the Word of God and understanding the Word of God are not the same thing. And understanding the Word of God and knowing what to do with it aren't the same thing. So throughout church history, we have had the inspired and authoritative Word of God, and we have stuffed it up consistently overemphasizing important things uh, or not so important things, underestimating and under-teaching or ignoring whole sections, uh, adding to it our own agendas, and what a... the horrible, dark things that God's church has done to the world. The people, the nations that we have slaughtered and killed and done... and and pillaged and raped in God's name, all with some lovely scriptures to back it up, shows that the Bible is not enough. And I think that's the first time I've ever said that out loud and probably goes against everything I've believed in the past. But the Bible is not enough. The Bible, I truly believe, has given me everything that I needed to know to be saved but it hasn't given me everything I need to equip me and to lead me into everything that God has for me since then. 
turns out that I needed the Spirit of God as well. And it turns out that I need his ongoing prophetic voice. Because it gets tricky trying to take a scripture, a word that he spoke to a specific person three and a half thousand years ago, and now make that be something very specific for me. There's a lot of skill involved in doing that, and mostly we get it wrong. If only God would speak to us directly now. That would be really convenient. Turns out he's been trying to the whole time. And some people have been hearing it. Some people have been hearing his voice. But those are the people that we think of as the crazies. They're prophets and apostles. But God is restoring the true foundation of his church. A foundation that is built on his voice, on his word. That's his word in the Bible and his word which is coming through prophetically now. And they are entirely complementary. They parallel. God's character is not, is not changing. He's not bringing a new direction. I don't believe that for a start. He's realigning us and restoring us to the direction he had in mind the whole time. But we fail to see it in his word all the time. So he raises up men of women of God, speaks to them spirit to spirit, shows them things in the spiritual realm to help them see, oh, oh, that's what you mean. Oh, okay. And then they lead us forward into that. I believe without a shadow of doubt, the Bible contains everything that we need to know who he is and lead us to him. The Bible's very good at describing and explaining our God and when we can actually experience that for ourselves, it changes everything. But the rock, the rock needs something more than the Bible. The rock needs the Bible and more of it than we're currently receiving. We need to be soaking more in his word, not just on Sundays. I'm not talking about Sunday. I'm talking about every other day. We need more of his word but we also need more of his prophetic word. And so this, this word that Greg's been receiving this year encourages me because it confirms, again, God is speaking to us. And when we start to listen and step out, he just keeps pouring out more and more, and we become the church that he's calling us to be. To fully step into the purpose that God has for our family, we need so much more. See, if our purpose as a church was just to love God, there would be no need for apostles and prophets to fulfill that purpose. If uh, that was the case, we could just throw ourselves headlong into more deep worship encounters. We could invest more time in developing a ceaseless prayer interaction from him would be praying constantly would worshiping all the time would be soaking and meditating in his word constantly and in that i believe would build this really strong one-on-one -on -one relationship with god and would come to fully understand what it means to love him and that would be awesome and there'd be this group of people who individually just are passionate about him and just growing in holiness that would be awesome and if if that's what the purpose of the church is we don't need apostles to do that 
you don't need any more prophetic word because we've already got enough to make that happen. <laughs> but that's not the purpose of the church. The reality is that we are called to more than a personal relationship and to more than just living a good life. He has called us individually and corporately to a very powerful and significant mission. He's called us to this church family in this specific city at this specific time. God has a mission that he has been revealing to us through his chosen agency of prophetic and apostolic leadership. God doesn't tell me Jack. He doesn't tell me what he wants to do for the rock. I really hope that he would just because it's more comfortable for me if I receive it. I don't like mysteries. I, I like things to make sense. I like things to be clearly written in black and white. That's not the way God works. God's prophetic leadership comes through prophetic and apostolic ministry. He reveals the mysteries to these particular giftings. We have to step out in faith. Well, so do they. Unfortunately, things in the kingdom of God aren't as convenient as we would like them to be. But in that process, the faith that God builds is huge. Seeing the, the mysteries of God and the Spirit, it's not my anointing. But there are others he does reveal these things to. And this is the understanding that appears to me now explicitly in Scripture that I was blind to see. 1 Corinthians twelve twenty-eight. I don't know how many times I have poured over chapters 12, 13, and 14 of 1 Corinthians. I've preached them so many times. Tried to learn it in Greek once. What an idiot. I developed some very very solid arguments for defending some specific points of doctrine and using articulate words and, and logic and a few other scriptures I could be very compelling in how God wants to use well my opinion of how God wants to use the spiritual gifts in the church so yeah I can't remember how many times I've read and studied this passage but somehow I missed something which was so explicit just sitting on the top of the text you don't need to dig deep for this. 1 Corinthians 12, 28. God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles. Second, prophets. Third, teachers. Then miracles, gifts of healing, helping, guidance, and different other tongues. There was a force of will applied there to deliberately ignore some key words in this passage. I personally don't believe that there is a wasted word in Scripture. Everything is there for a reason. I should have been jumping all over this thinking, Oh, Lord, what do you mean by this? First, second, third, what does that mean? But no, no, no. I was able just to tone down my curiosity at that exact point and ignore it. And fail to see what was right there the whole time. This is not a passage about what is most important. This is not about who the cool kids are and who are the less cool. This is not about who is deserving of most honor. 
And this is one thing I did actually pick up from 1 Corinthians 12. You read the rest of it, and Paul is at pains to encourage the church to recognize all the gifts and encourage all the gifts and honor all the gifts, particularly those which don't draw to themselves honor. It's not about honor in this case. But it's about governance and revelation. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and so on. Why? Because the purpose of the church, I don't believe, is to love God. That, that must happen, and that's part of just being connected with him and reconciling. That is a mandate which is on all believers. But believers are called into a powerful vehicle for transformation, and that is the church. And the purpose on the church is something even more than that, or is a profound expression of that. If God's purpose for the church was to know him better and love him more, then why are we still here? Don't you think we could do a much more efficient and productive job of knowing God and loving him if we were in heaven with him? We are surrounded by so many distractions that pull us away from him. It's hard to love him down here. Wouldn't it be easier if we we're just hanging out with him in heaven the whole time? Yes, it would is the answer. Yes, it would, Clay. It would be easier if we were just in heaven. Unfortunately, we can't fulfill our purpose as the church if we're in heaven. Who's not in heaven? Everyone else. The world is not in heaven. Those that don't know the Lord aren't in heaven. People that are not redeemed or not being sanctified aren't in heaven. So God has left us here because it turns out it's more efficient and productive to leave the church on earth to do his will than zap us up to heaven just now. All right? So you get that maybe our purpose is more than just know and love God. He wants us to do some stuff as well. Yeah. Yeah. God has a plan for the whole world, and he wants to affect that plan through us. God is establishing the kingdom of heaven on earth, and he is releasing that kingdom through us, through his people. Or at least he's trying to. The way that he does that is first apostles, second prophets, third teachers and pastors and evangelists and others. These are the ministries that we know as the fivefold. Well, maybe you don't know that. I didn't know that. I hadn't heard fivefold until I came to the rock. But there's a whole doctrine built around it. There's books and stuff on it. I love, I, there's a, is it? A very funny, um, very cool illustration um, from one of the pastors at Bethel, a guy called Danny Silk. I want to I share this illustration with you because I think it, for those not familiar with the fivefold, I think it helps get the picture a little bit. Okay, so um, this is uh, an illustration from his book, uh, Culture of Honor. You can get this on Kindle for $9. If you haven't got it, I'd, rec I'd recommend you just read this book. It's awesome. Okay, so this is Danny Silk on the fivefold anointings. I think I can best introduce the attributes of the fivefold anointings by describing what might happen if they all arrive together at the scene of a car accident. <clears throat> the pastor is the first one out of the car. He scrambles to assess the situation and begins a triage approach in applying first aid to injured victims. 
He gathers blankets, jackets, water, and anything else he can find to try to comfort the people. He surveys the situation to see if anything is threatening the safety both of those who are receiving care and those who have been drawn to the scene of the accident. He talks with each person to find out his or her name, their marital status, and whether they have children. He gathers vital sign information uh, and any available emergency contact information in order to help the emergency response team when they arrive. He brings a sense of calm to the situation, and each person there feels a genuine feeling of care and connection to the pastor. He wonders whether he should have been a doctor. The teacher is next on the scene, and he studies the situation in order to figure out what caused the accident. He steps back, notices the patterns of the skid marks, and the distance each car moved before and after the impact. He estimates the speed of each car at the point of impact. Drawing from his deep knowledge of the driver's manual and traffic laws, he develops a theory about what was at fault. His conclusion is that overall, drivers need more training and would most likely benefit from mandatory classes and continuing education requirements. Yeah, sounds pretty onto it. The evangelist arrives on the scene and asks everyone lying in a safe, comfortable place, thanks to the pastor, if you were to die as a result of your injuries, do you know where you would go? Would you go to heaven or hell? He then notices that there is a large gathering of bystanders and people in their cars who have pulled over to watch. He begins to address the larger crowd with the same question. There are no guarantees that you will make it home safely. Do you know where you would go? People give their hearts to the Lord right there on the side of the road. He explains to all these new believers that the greatest gift you can ever give to someone else is the gift of salvation. He trains them to lead others to Christ and prays for the baptism of the Holy Spirit to come upon them all. Afterward, he says, this was great, and decides to go purchase a police scanner when he gets back to town. <laughs> the prophet the prophet knew this was going to happen because he had a dream about it the previous night because everyone in the dream had survived the accident he rebukes a spirit of death and declares with great faith and unction that all shall live and none shall die he also proclaims that there are angels surrounding the scene of the accident and prays that the eyes of the people's hearts will be opened to see in the spirit then he walks around and starts to call the destiny out on various people. He releases a spirit of revelation within the group. And finally, and quite naturally, he begins to ask around to find out who is in charge at the scene. When he discovers the one in charge, he discerns whether this is God's chosen leader or not. Or if he finds no one in charge, he will appoint someone. The apostle prays for the injured. He invites the supernatural healing touch of God into the scene. He begins to tell testimonies of when he has been on the scene of car accidents and witnessed the power of God manifest itself in these situations. The faith level of the people begins to rise. He then asks if anyone can feel heat in his or her hands. He puts those who raise their hands to work praying for others to be healed. He demonstrates to all who are near that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He then opens a school for those who arrive at car accident scenes and sends them all over the world to do signs and wonders. Oh. I wonder which of those you feel 
personally most drawn to and identify with most. The reality is that these giftings, are, these, these anointings are also mindsets and they become emphases for the church. And certainly in my experience, my 20 plus years in the church, I have seen a, a couple of those in particular emphasized here in the church in New Zealand. That would be the offices of teacher and pastor and evangelist. Um, The safe ones. And I have seen so many people who are drawn to churches based on what is emphasized there. And I certainly have been one of these. I've always been drawn to churches that have a heavy emphasis on teaching. I want to hear the expository preaching of the word. Three points. I prefer five or six things. I want to hear a little bit of Greek, a little bit of Hebrew. Probably going to need an hour, hour 15 to get through that. And I want to know that you've been slaving over this for the last two weeks. I want to walk away feeling like I know more than I did before and have a few decent sound bites to impress others with later. I don't want to be challenged too much to do anything with that. I'd rather just think about things for a while. And I'll be drawn to churches that had more of that kind of buzz. Others are just so sold out for uh, the winning of the lost that they'll be drawn to churches and leaders that that's what they're sold out for. It's just preaching the gospel. It's all about winning the lost. It's about people responding to the gospel. It's, a, it's about numbers because numbers are souls. And I know people who, who carry that same heartbeat, and so they're drawn to those kind of churches. And then there's everyone else who just wants to be taken care of, just wants their needs to be met, just wants to feel loved and accepted, and just someone to walk alongside them to help them overcome their problems. And so churches with just genuinely loving pastors pastor and gifting just draw people like this like moths to a flame to be fair that's probably most of us because of course we all want to be taken care of and loved and we've all got issues and stuff and so what you see is churches in New Zealand that are led by teachers and pastors and in some cases evangelists but not apostles and prophets because they're crazy and they say crazy stuff and they make, they make you go and do stuff. And their churches aren't very comfortable. Their churches aren't easy to sit down in the pews. This fivefold stuff is not about who the most important in the kingdom of God is. In fact, Jesus made it clear the least in the kingdom will be considered first. All of these gifts are crucially important to the church, as are all the spiritual gifts listed throughout the Bible. But for each of the fivefold gifts to be effective in fulfilling the mission that God has for them, for building the church, they need to operate in order and the authority that God has raised them up in. The order is essentially about the flow of revelation. This has been personally a huge revelation for me to come and understand. God has the plan, right? God knows what he wants to do. 
He knows what he wants to do in us, what he wants to do at The Rock, what he wants to do in Wellington, in New Zealand, in the world. He has that word. Read the Bible and tell me what God's specific plan is for The Rock. Good luck with that. The general stuff is in there. Yes, God wants us to win the lost. He wants us to be salt and light and transform cities. But how? What specifically is he calling us to do? Where does he want us to put our resource? What initiatives does he want us to jump into? What not? What political issues, if any, does he want us to get involved in? What is the voice of the rock supposed to be at this time? What strongholds does he want us to actively look to bring down in his name? For that, we need something very specific to be spoken down. We need his prophetic word. And he is speaking, and he is speaking right now. And you know who's listening? You know who's got their eyes fixed on heaven? Apostles and prophets. And this is the way he works. It starts with apostles and prophets because the apostles and prophets have their eyes focused up and not down. Apostles and prophets, more than the others, are totally focused and tuned into the things of heaven. They can see and hear into the heavenly realm in ways that astound the rest of us. Apostles and prophets grab hold of what God is doing in heaven and move to release that on earth. Their concern is not so much what God has done in the past, but what he wants to do now and in the future, and then lead God's people into that. Teachers are important because they help people understand God's word. They take the revelation of apostles and prophets and break it down in ways that people can understand and apply. But without the ministry of apostles and prophets, teachers will refocus the church towards doctrinal accuracy. Because them being right is what's important. For them, having an understanding of everything is important. But understanding doesn't necessarily mean that it's changed your life. Apostles and prophets, their focus is on heaven. Teachers, their focus is on the church. They just want to educate people in the extreme. Like the Pharisees, scribes, and teachers of the law that Jesus encountered in his day, their zealous passion for God's word can blind them to God himself actually standing in front of them. And this is what God saw, people who, uh, Jesus saw people who knew the word. They could recite the Torah. They could recite uh, all the words of the prophets. But then when the one who the prophet spoke of is standing right in front of them, they couldn't see it. And that is what a teacher without the spirit of God is. Being right became more important than being righteous. And righteousness is found in Christ alone. Teachers find their ordained and anointed place in the church when they humbly receive apostolic and prophetic direction from those graced in those ministries. And they help God's people to receive that word and apply it to their lives. I'm, I have shared this before, but I had, it's so messed up what I thought my role here at the church was. I don't mean my job, D. I mean the spiritual calling that God had placed on my life for here. Somehow I got the idea 
because, actually no, it's not somehow, I had the idea because of my own arrogance about what I know, that my job here was to protect you. To protect you from the crazy words of people who didn't know the Bible as well as I thought I did. I am so embarrassed, just even confessing that, the idea that I thought I knew the word so well, that I would use the word to contradict the prophetic voice here. That is shameful for me, you understand? That's, how, that, that's what I thought. My job was to protect you from the crazies who were saying whatever came into their head but didn't really know God's word. And to my embarrassment, I contradicted Greg on things and worked to undermine movement that the church was looking to make because I hadn't personally received the revelation. And so because I thought it was my job to protect you, well, I I moved to protect you. I am here for a reason. That's not that. No one's here for that. The elders have been raised up in this church uh, to um, maintain doctrine uh, here. That's explicit in Scripture, and I know that. My job is to help people understand things. And the apostles and the prophets, God is speaking to them all the time and showing them how God wants to lead us. And I've got to tell you what a burden has been lifted off my shoulders now that I realize that's not my job. And I'm not equipped for that. And I feel so much more part of the family that I'm working in cooperation with people who are gifted in amazing ways. I feel like I really know who I am now. And I'm excited about growing into that more and more. I mean, I've got a long way to go, even in my own area of ministry. But I'm excited about that. Pray for me, please. Pastors are important because they connect people relationally with the prophetic plan God has for the church and walk alongside them, nurturing them into their part in the family and encouraging them to overcome the obstacles in their way. What God is calling into us, um, calling us into as a church, it's hard. It's going to be full on. and we don't, we don't have half a sense of how full on it's going to be. It's going to require a lot of sacrifice. God is pulling down mindsets. He's going to make people feel uncomfortable. I'm going to be working to make people feel uncomfortable. And I don't care. I'm cool with that. In fact, I feel positive on a Sunday if people are uncomfortable. Because I'm like, yes, that's what the Word of God's supposed to do. Good. If you all agree with me, I'm probably scratching your ears. So stop agreeing. Yeah, good. Thank God we have pastors who do care about how we feel, who do care about the burden we carry when, when we leave the building. Pastors want to see people grab that powerful word and softly work away on us to, we, to see a full transformation. Pastors recognize that's a hard calling on us. Pastors don't want to lose anyone. Apostles definitely, certainly teachers, will hold on to the ones that truly get and understand. The rest will leave to God's grace. Pastors don't want to lose a soul. They care about every single one of you. And that's good because we should all care about every single one of you, not just the ones who get it. And so pastors take that word and they massage it 
nicely into people who are struggling with it. They recognize that the consequences of God's word are very full on for some people and they'll journey with them to help them work that through. We need pastors. But without apostles and prophets, pastors can perpetuate a church culture that is insular and focused on people's needs. Pastors want people to be happy and healthy, whereas God wants his people obedient, focused on him and the mission. Pastors need the apostolic and prophetic environment to step into the ultimate calling as enablers. uh, Pastors are enablers, but not enabling a selfish, pure-warming culture, but enabling a culture of kingdom people sold out for a mission so much bigger than themselves and their problems. Lastly, the evangelist role is to equip the church to bring the expression of God's prophetic voice and mission to a lost world. Without them, our churches would never grow because the kingdom of God would never make it out the door. It would be stuck in here with us. Evangelists equip us to take the kingdom to work with us and share the hope that we have. Or they do at least when they operate in an apostolic and prophetic environment. Without the flow from these other gifts, the evangelists equip us to carry not the kingdom, but just the gospel, which is only a part of the kingdom God is looking to bring. Often evangelists reduce the kingdom down to a simple form that's expressed in four spiritual laws and can be contained in a little tract. The kingdom of God is so much more than that. It's more than a prayer of salvation. Evangelists operating from a five-fold church get that, and they equip us and inspire us to carry the full kingdom out with us. They remind us constantly that the mission is out those doors, and they're constantly pushing us and challenging us to get out there and do something about it. Why, why am I sharing this with you? Why is this important? It's important because the apostolic and prophetic offices are being restored in the kingdom of God to their rightful place. The church that you might have grown up in or have, are just coming into, it's changing God is restoring it back to what his plan was. We've been getting by, middling about doing church for so long now that we don't know any other way. So now we need to hear that there is another way. And it's the way that God established from the beginning. Building his church on a foundation of apostles and prophets. And that office and that agency is just as real and alive now as it was in the first century. You tune into the testimonies that are floating around and emerging in the world now about what God is doing in the church. It's unprecedented stuff. You read in Acts about a shadow falling on on someone uh, from an apostle and, and they get healed or people being raised from the dead. It's nothing compared to what he's doing now. Hundreds of resurrections recorded. Whole villages being healed of um, significant afflictions which they're all carrying. Ministries, just, just the numbers are staggering in the moves of God that are coming out now. 
And the healings and the resurrections are just a sign accompanying a restoration of the church to God's true calling and purpose. And signs and wonders should accompany a major move of God's spirit. That just happens. It's a byproduct. God is restoring the church to his original blueprint. And for the rock to grow into the truly transformational kingdom community that he has destined us to become, we need to recognize this and we need to submit to the prophetic voice that is rising up among us and the apostolic leadership which God is looking to bring back. And so that requires a response individually from each of us. The rock is us. The rock isn't Greg. Greg can't just make a call and suddenly it happens. Greg can only hear from God and be faithful to step into it. We all carry an equal responsibility to respond to God's word. So the challenge that I send you out with today is to take this word and to test it, to seek him on it, to seek confirmation just as the Bereans did in Acts 17. Test the word. See if what I'm saying is true. Ask the Spirit. Ask God to, to, to confirm, is this what you're doing? Because if God is restoring the apostolic and prophetic voice and office to his church, that means something significant for us. That means that we are handing back the authority that we've claimed here in the church and recognizing that God is actually looking to place that authority on certain anointings and giftings in the church. And it's hard to let that go. It has been hard for me to recognize that I don't get all the info, but I have to appreciate the gift on someone else, trust God on that person, and follow even when I don't understand. Not understanding is very difficult for me, people. I need to understand everything. Oh, I've got Leslie worked out. Don't worry about that. So this has been my faith journey, recognizing that God is speaking to the rock and he's not necessarily going to check that out with me first. But God has raised up these awesome gifts, powerful gifts, and he has an order and a flow he wants to work in. My responsibility is to see God on others and to humble myself to allow God to do things and others and not just me to develop a spiritual discernment and mostly just faith to step into things I don't understand and it requires me to recognize and honor what God has put on other people and this goes beyond fivefold by the way this this goes across all the gifts every man woman and child in the kingdom of God that carries the spirit of God has his thumbprint all over them. We are all made in the image of God. We are his children. I am surrounded here by royalty. Princes, princesses of the kingdom of God. You carry his authority. You carry his name. You are made in his image. You are beautifully, fearfully, wonderfully made. On top of that, he has poured out supernatural power, graces to change this world. 
1 Corinthians 12 said we are all worthy of honor for that reason. Every gift, every calling is wonderful, honorable. And we should recognize what it is that God has put on each of us, those around us, and honor the person for that. Honor them for the God that is in them. Honor them for what God has put on them. And then act accordingly. So when you recognize that there is a prophetic anointing on someone, honoring that gift means you will listen and you will receive humbly when they have a word for you or for the church. And when you put yourself under that gift, you position yourself to receive from that gift. You don't ever wish that God would speak to them more. You know, when you get some legend prophet of God comes into the house, you get a, like a, a David Peters or a, uh, or a McCracken comes in. Some people are like, please don't pick me, please don't pick me. But a lot of people are like, pick me. Please, I just, I just want God to speak to me. I want, his, I want to hear his voice. I want a, a word to confirm what he's doing. I'm always one of those people. If, if you're not one to hear God's voice much, when someone comes in like that, I just love it. And I'm always just a little bit disappointed if I don't get a word. Anyone else like that? To receive that, you've got to honor the gift. One of these guys, somebody's carrying a powerful anointing like that, comes in the house and you're like, pfft. This whack job again. How long is this going to take? Yeah, good luck at you getting a word. And if you do get one, <laughs> it's not going to be a nice one. You want to you receive God's prophetic word? Place yourself under the gift. Honor it. Same goes for, for teaching and for, for pastoring. You feeling unloved? Feeling like you, no one cares about your needs? Do you recognize the love of God on other people around you? Do you recognize those who carry a pastoral heart and place you, place yourself in their sphere of influence so that you can receive? I, I hear testimonies all the time of people who find this place just unloving, just, you know, people don't care about me. But what I have witnessed from my own relationship with them is time and time again seeing them push people away. They want to feel love, but they're not prepared to make themselves vulnerable and really share what's going on. And so they can't receive. Are we going to truly become this restored church on the foundation of that Jesus destined us to be? A church built on the cornerstone of Christ with a foundation of the apostolic and prophetic word we we need to recognize that that's what he's doing here. And not just here. This is happening all over the world and has been for a long time. We need humility. We need sight. And we need honor. We need humility to realize that we need each other. We need the, need the other spiritual gifts. And we need revelation that we don't currently have. We need sight to see what God has graced on other people. And we need a growing culture of honor to respect 
who we are and what God's put on us. If we don't recognize and respect the apostolic mantle on a leader, how can we follow them into the faith leap that God has revealed them? If you don't recognize and respect the prophetic grace on a person, how can you receive the word that God has given them for yourself or the church? If you don't recognize and respect the cheap teaching gift on a preacher, you will miss the deeper insights or applications of scripture that God has equipped them to bring you. If you don't recognize and respect the pastoral gift on a sister, you will miss the encouragement that God wants to support you with. And if you don't recognize and respect the evangelistic gift on a brother, you won't be able to tap into their inspiration to passionately share your faith in the world around you. When we recognize and respect, we can receive. And I, for one, want to receive everything that God has in store for me. I want to receive from every gift he has released and is releasing in this church. And I want to be a part of a church community which is changing the world. I get excited about that. I get excited about my job and about being a son in this house when I hear prophecies like that one Greg received. Because that's something to get excited about. So to become that, to become the fulfillment of that prophecy, we need to sign up for it. We need to place ourselves under that prophetic word, recognize God is speaking, and then step out in faith. So you better believe I'm going to be here on Sunday, the 28th of October, and not just because I have to contractually. I don't want to miss out when the prophetic and literal trumpet is blown out over this church community. I, the expectation is already building for me now. Because what I have seen is when people respond to the prophetic move of God, things break spiritually. Now, if you felt that there are things holding us back as a church or holding you back personally, you better believe there are things that are trying, trying to hold you back. But when we step out in faith, God breaks those things off because God is partnering with the faith of his people. So let's step out in faith. Sunday the 28th, 3 p.m. Come with expectation. Be praying into that even now. There was a, a word in that prophecy about a season of fasting. I'm not a huge faster. But um, as you can see. But... um. I want to do everything I can to just submit my body and my mind to the will of God and prepare myself spiritually so when this day comes, I am so fixed on him that I don't miss a thing. I want it all. And so I'll submit my body to that. So I want to encourage you, if, you, if fasting hasn't been your thing in the past, maybe in preparation for this, do it. Because in the four and a half years that I've been here, I have never heard a word like that and never felt as passionate that God is calling us out of the past into some amazing, powerful future. You with me? Yeah, come on. All right, let's pray. And we pray, Lord, because none of this happens without you. We need you so much. And Lord, I just want to thank you that you are delivering. You are pouring yourself out. You are giving us everything we need. And I want to thank you, Lord, that you're restoring the prophetic word to this house. You are restoring apostolic leadership and that you have such a cool plan for us. 
So, Lord, I pray for us all and for myself, for humility, for a greater humility than I currently have, that I'd recognize that I need, I need you on my brothers and sisters. I need the love, the grace, the power that you have poured out on this house. I need these gifts released in my brothers and sisters, Lord, just to minister to me and help me become who you've called me to be. So I pray, Lord, just, just for humbling across the room, for us to receive from whatever vessel, Lord, you've chosen to pour yourself on. Lord, I pray for sight. I pray that you would give us a spiritual sight to see you on each other. That when we look around, we would see sons and daughters of the living God, princes, princesses of the kingdom of heaven that would see your thumbprint on each other. And Lord, that we would see and discern the spiritual grace on people's lives to see the gifts that you've given them, Lord. And that lastly, Lord, we'd better honor that person, honor you on them, and honor the gift. Lord, that you would position us to receive from you as you move among your people. I pray, Lord, that this house would become known as a community that honors just as Jesus said in, in John 13, Lord, that people would uh, know that we are following you because we love one another. I pray that love would manifest itself in a culture of honor as we respect and love you through each other. So yeah, we've probably got a long way to move on that one, Lord. But I pray you just continue to work in our spirits and our hearts to become everything you've called us to be. In Jesus' name. Amen. How was that? We're gonna. I'm gonna get the guys just to lead us in a song, and um, and I, I want this song because I just want to reaffirm as we walk out that the foundation that I'm speaking of, the cornerstone is Jesus. Prophets and apostles aren't bringing anything and doing anything that Jesus himself didn't do. Everything is aligned with him. So I just want us just to reaffirm that together as a community. And as you leave today, I really want you to carry this word and really thrash it out and contend for truth. If we get hold of this and it doesn't work in our hearts, you watch out. The rock is going to just go off the chain. Why don't you stand with us more? We'll sing. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame but holy trust in Jesus' name. Let's sing that again. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' birth and righteousness. I dare not trust 
Oggi 